five mistakes single women make that break their relationship. Hi, I'm Antje Boyd, founder and creator of the Magnetize Your Man Method. And we are here, of course, doing our Magnetize Your Man online summit. And today we have Dr. Gary Salyer. Hey, Dr. Gary. Hey, Antia. Nice being back. So excited to have you here and to really dive much deeper into the mistakes that single women make without even knowing about it. And before we go there, I just want to go briefly into like who Dr. Gary is. So he is a transformational relationship mentor for the last decade. Dr. Salyer has been in private practice offering singles and couples heart-centered transformation so they can rewrite the rule, uh, the rules for love in their brains and create a love that lasts. Dr. Gary speaks to a national audience as a featured expert on various celebrity TV and radio shows such as Hay House Radio and Coast to Coast AM. He is the author of the groundbreaking book, Safe to Love Again, How to Release the Pain of Past Relationships and Create the Love You Desire. And he also has this new book coming up on how to stay in love as well. So we'll talk a little bit about that today. So, so excited to have you, Gary. It's it's great being here. It's so good seeing you again. We've always, we've been good friends for a long time. So well, it's for a long time. And when we were talking, we were actually talking specifically about a decisive six seconds, right? That yeah. really determine whether you make a relationship or you break a relationship. So let's talk about like what are those six seconds and what are the five mistakes that single women make within those potentially six seconds? Okay. So, you know, the big framework for this is we hear a lot of talk when, you know, I know you do a lot with attachment. Obviously I wrote a book on attachment where we talk about big picture. Are you anxious? Are you avoidant? Are you secure? Maybe disorganized, right? You've got this, these big honking pictures, right? And it's like looking at the whole horizon, right? But what's, what really makes or breaks a relationship are what I call the six-second moments. It's little tiny moments that make or break the relationship. And too many people are looking at big patterns or maybe a big long set of lists or whatever, uh, and they're not noticing the little moments that we make or break connection. And it happens in little tiny ways. You know, the, the first part, of this is one, are you present in the moment? And that means, are you, and that actually means making eye contact. A lot of times uh, these little moments happen, like with one couple I was working with, he, they couldn't understand why they kept getting into big fights. And what was happening, and it happened to be the husband, I mean, because he had an enmeshed mother, his way of dealing with things early on in life was to look away to, you know, to break that connection because of an intrusive mother. So every time he would, he would listen fine. But when he was making his point, he would always look down and he would spend his whole time looking down here, never keeping eye contact. One, she feels disconnected. And two, he doesn't see the moment her eyes go back. That six second, I didn't know our head go back because I chose the wrong word and I can't rephrase it. That was the place. He didn't get the little moment, a little word went sideways, just a little word. It was one or two that just didn't land well with her. And in those six seconds, he lost it. Then she get angry. When we got her 
I mean, him to be able to be present to the moment, to make eye contact and to see and to notice these little, little micro reactions, they come back in two weeks later and they say, my God, 80% of the arguments just magically went away. That's the power of a six second moment. That's the power. And the first rule is stay in the present and keep your eyes on them. Which is so true because research even shows, right, when we're not present, like mm -hmm. we delete, I think, I think up to 30% of the information that's being communicated in that particular moment. So can you imagine you and I be having a conversation and 30% are just like, what did you say, Gary? What was that again? Right? It's like yeah. so not surprising that it leads to, that it can lead to moments like that. Oh, yeah. I mean. You know, studies have shown that 80% of attachment signals run through the, the face, mostly the eyes, some the mouth. And we know from a lot of other science that the autonomic nervous system actually broadcasts the state of your attachment system to other people, whether you're safe or not safe to approach through your face. So if you're not zoned in on their face, you are listening to the very gift that Mother Nature has given you, which is their face to tell you what's going on in them. <laughs> Every, we're meant to zone in on uh, our someone else's face so we can see the state that's inside of them. How can we love each other if we're not noticing what's going on inside? And so when people are, are not tuned in, And really looking at eyes <laughs> and mouth. That means, you know, that mean doesn't mean talking, you know, about intimate things or arguments in a car looking straight at the road. It doesn't mean talking to them while you're looking at social media. <laughs> it doesn't, and really not even on the phone. It means eye contact. Yeah, that's the first rule. And you just notice the little tiny moments, the, you know, and That's the biggest thing is a lot. We're being trained by social media and a lot of technology to not to do something that's kind of not attachment friendly. We have so many ways of connecting that don't focus on the eyes. Well, and then the other piece, too, as like you mentioned indirectly, is almost like signaling to the other person that when you don't hold eye contact or you look down, that it's not safe to be with you. <clears throat> in that moment, yeah. right? or that you don't feel safe with the other person. And in that moment, of course, breaking rapport to the yeah. other person, which then, of course, deregulates the nervous system of the other person. And it's like, what, like, did I, did I say something wrong? Did I do something wrong? Right. And then maybe they go also into their coping mechanism that they go into when they incur in uncertainty. Yes, exactly. You know, the, this, the face will tell you, the physiology will tell you exactly what's going on inside, inside their brain. And if you can see that and what you're looking for, did their head go back? Did their eyes go big? Did, did you see this little squint that says maybe they're angry or they're sad? Or did their, or did their breathing stop? Or did their face go a little white? These are little moments that say, wait a minute, something I said didn't land right. I wonder, you know, what, what needs to happen. And you make that little adjustment. Oh, did that? I'm well. Did that word not land right, honey? No, that one didn't really land right. Well, what you know? Well, what if I said it and I meant it like this? Oh, okay. Now you've made a repair. Now you've made a repair. Mm -hmm. But you can't make a repair if you don't if you don't see it in real time. I mean, attachment is 
I mean, it's all about attention and these little tiny moments, little strings of moments, like, you know, uh, and if we're not in that moment, uh, looking for the little things, not the big things, the little things, <clears throat> the big things are almost always the result of a string of little things that we pay for. So absolutely. So what's the second mistake that the single women make that really breaks the relationship in those six seconds? Well, there's another one I think that happens is uh, we play bumper cars with our different realities, <laughs> so to speak. Okay. Most of, we all have reality. Okay. We all have reality. And we and it's important to define how do we create reality inside? It's experience inside our brains. You know, there's a neuro from neuroscience we know, and this gets a little heady for only a minute, that our, our cortical brain, uh, the part that makes meaning, uh, we have all these little columns, and each column has six neurons. Now, the funny thing about this is the bottom two are are feeding into the senses. What am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I smelling? And it checks in with your body too. What am I feeling? You know, what's going on inside my body? Now, this is where it gets interesting for both couples. The top two are going back to what's called implicit memory, old memory that you may not even remember and often don't, but it tells you how to feel about certain categories of life. And it is always being fed in with now. The past is always being fed in with now. Now, that's a very good thing because all the, it tells you how to recognize something. So when you go in your bath, bathroom and you see this bowl with water, you don't think, hmm, I wonder what that's for. What if I can drink out of that? You know, it tells you, you know, uh, it tells you that that blueberry is that's one to eat that red berry over there. Maybe not so much. <laughs> you know, it also tells you, oh, that's a dog. But depending on whether you got bit by a dog or whether you had a nice snuggly little thing as a as a kid, you know, it tells you how to feel. So no matter what's going on, there is no time when your past isn't be fed into what's now. There's no objective reality. It's always in a plan. And the middle two are adding these together. So even if you and your spouse are looking at the same thing, both of you are being fed the past from different places. You're And there's no way that you can possibly see and feel and experience the same thing. And so trying to make this court of who's right who's wrong, what you're trying to do is to make them wrong and it doesn't work. What's better is to stop playing this emotional bumper cars that I see in a lot of couples. Well, that wasn't, you know, that's not true. It's not about true. It's about, no, this is my experience. It's, and being more and more aware, oh, you know, it's these sort of past events influence the meaning, his meaning, and you get curious about each other's meaning. You get curious about, wow, what's the backstory for that? And you stop saying, this is right, I'm right, you're wrong. You start saying, well, this is my experience. Gosh, what's yours? And hopefully they get curious back. If we stop playing emotional bumper cars and we start playing you know, emotional curiosity and understanding and empathy, that goes a lot of ways. But most people play bumper cars, assuming there's an objective reality and I think that's, and this happens in just little tiny moments. 
just noticing what part of the past is influencing your reality and getting curious what part is influencing this. This is what makes a couple last when they get really good at curiosity and understanding, and they stop making each other think that being right uh, is even possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And I, I agree with that with my husband, that even I w- I'm always joking with my single women. I'm like, guys, even eight and a half years later, like I'm still saying, babe, so when you say that, like, what does that mean to you? Right. Cause you know, to me, this means this, right. Or when you, you know, have this kind of experience, like what, how's that showing up for you? And it's always surprising. Um, you know, not so surprising because I now know that it is going to be probably a surprising answer yeah. that how he responds that it's not something that I could necessarily like, oh, wow, I had no idea. You know, one time I, I even asked, I said, when you wake up in the morning, like, what is it like to be Brody? Right. And he explained <laughs> it to me. I was like, oh, my God, I'm already exhausted listening. He's like, well, what is it like for like to be out here when you wake up in the morning? I was like, it's just spacious. And, you know, like I'm having my tea and. I'm not having a million questions in my head. You know what I mean? I don't. And, um, but it's so great, right? Because we have to like some, this, well, we're sleeping in the same bed. We're living in the same house. We have the same business. So, you know, there's like this assumption. Yeah. Oh, that must mean that we have like the same experience of reality. Right. Yes. And uh, we actually don't. So I could not agree with that more, Barry. Yeah. The, 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 if, if, whether you're starting a, a relationship or you've got a long-term committed one. So the question of who's right or who's wrong is who's cares. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. It's who, how do you understand how you both make experience? Now that's a winning. Now, oh, that's how your brain makes it. That's how you, you know. And so it's you stop playing emotional bumper cars with each other. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. So what's the third mistake that single women make in those six seconds? Well, this is what I call the Tony Awards. <laughs> the Tony Awards is we are not tracking uh, our tone of voice. And it's, and you know, most couples, it's been suggested by some studies that couples are 90% of the time when there's an argument, they're not responding actually to the actual linguistic comment not the the content. They're responding, you guessed it, to the tone. Or and it's all you can also put in there, you know, the physical presencing of the body. Again, and it, our attachment system are, are is our, our vocal cords are connected to our attachment system through the autonomic nervous system. It too is broadcasting. Not only the eyes and the facial, but the vocal and it's meant to allow people to see what is the attachment experience, the relational experience. Is it safe, not safe in there? And, and if we broadcast, we got to watch our tones. If some people, you know, have a higher pitch point when they get upset. And now your spouse, if they had somebody, if they had them on that really got really upset and they did like this, if you could raise your voice, it could set off all the alarms and whistles in them. Brothers, it's a really deep voice. Maybe a really angry dad, <laughs> which I can't, you know, do that 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 baritone quite the way I used to. You know, maybe I never did. But what couples forget is they go, "Well, I didn't say that." No, but your vocal cords did. <laughs> you know, you've got to be really aware of 
how your tone of voice is is influencing your partner in a relationship or even on a date. Uh, And you also have to notice how theirs is affecting you. And it's okay to be able to say, honey, you know, I really want to be able to hear what you say, but I'm having a hard time with a voice that tells me you may be angry. Can you say that with a different tone so I can hear what you're saying? It's okay and, to say that. Yeah. And then, of course, it also depends on what I see with Brody and I. I grew up in a, you know, verbally volatile household. And while Brody grew up in a, you know, people are just pretty even killed, like even if they're angry, you know, it's not being like too. Nobody's going to yelling at each other. If they're yelling, it's going to be super, super rare, right? It's going to be a huge deal. And so that's the other piece too, is that in, in the moment where I just feel like I'm raising my voice, I'm just getting, you know what I mean? I'm like, babe, if I would be screaming, I, you know what I mean? You, you don't want to hear that, you know, if the, yes. for him, right? Because he has a different ceiling. Because that's the under, that's also understanding like what different ceilings we actually have, depending on what background we come from, with like what tone of voice is, you know, the normal voice for us versus versus like, you know, danger, danger. Because for me, it's like I'm just a little annoyed, but it's not not a big deal, right? For my husband's already, oh, she raised her voice, right? We didn't do that in our household, right? When that happened, dad was racing after us and we were just hiding in the room, <laughs> locking ourselves in because we knew this is just not good news. Yes. And depending, that gets into the, my next point, depending on what you have experienced about the ability to repair in the past, pretty much bleeds into the, into the present. So you're, are you expecting to get on the other side of this relationship and you'll, uh, this, this little faux pas, this misstep, and you, you're pretty confident you have a knowingness that loads up automatically. Yeah, we're going to get through this. Or do you have a knowingness that says, oh no, hell just broke loose. And God knows how far this, this, this rabbit hole is going to go and we're never going to survive. You know, you grew up in a place where you didn't expect proper attuned repair of the relationship. Brody did. So the, the, you have to be able to navigate that, you know, and that that really gets to the fourth point is, you know, noticing that all the, the flow of connection, disconnection, and then reconnection in a relationship. You got to notice the flow. This whole idea that you're going to be happily married ever after. Haha. No, no, not quite there that we know from. Uh, attachment work, and specifically Edtronics uh, work, that 70% of the time, couples are in a state where they're not actually in a flow with connection. There is some form of disconnection or maybe a disconnection that's been repaired. You know, only about 30% of the time are couples in a place where they're truly connected. What a lot of people don't tell us is in these small moments, notice the small moments when the connection went away. We need a connectometer, so to speak. And you got to manage these moments where you notice, wait a minute, we're not having a connection. And to not freak out about it, this is normal. This is how you learn what intimacy is. It's learning, wow, who knew you could think like that? <laughs> who knew you could feel like that? Wow, you know, and uh, and then saying, hmm, 
I wonder how I can make a repair. How do I, we get back our connection? What's the move? What's the little move? Maybe like, I'm sorry, hon, that was insensitive how I said that, right? Or gosh, honey, um, it looks that look, we look a little scared. What's going on inside of you? Getting curious. But, you know, for, you know, the, 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 the couple, the average couple, about a third of the time, you're connected. You're, you're making bids and responding back and forth. And another third, you have missed a bid and don't even know you did it. You have stepped in it all the way, not up to your ankle, but up to your neck, and you don't even know it, right? <laughs> you know, and you come home and go, well, what's going on, right? And then there's a third where you're living on the other side where you have made some type of repair. And a repair doesn't mean you necessarily have a learned degree, but you have learned to agree and disagree. That can be a form of repair too. Mm -hmm. So you got to notice where are you at any given moment, any given six seconds, where are we in that natural flow? And just say, oh yeah, we're a couple. So what? Are we connected in this moment? Being a couple doesn't mean anything. Oh, we're in a state of disconnection. You know, oh, Okay, we're in a state where we have had some disrepair, but we've gotten back. So harmony, disharmony, reharmony, you know, that's, it's noticing where we are. And you got to have that connectometer. Okay, what's the, what's the signal strength between us? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like Zoom. Are we getting those little white bars? Are we getting the yellow bars? Are we getting the red bars? <laughs> when you know, uh-oh, we're about ready to lose a video or something, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> and it's also really understanding, you know, because sometimes it's safe if both people have like um, like an avoidant aspect inside of themselves. So if they're like more prone to, let's say, leave their body mm -hmm. because they both didn't feel like safe to be safe to be in their body. Right. Yeah. Like it can even like take some time for both or one to even recognize oh, wait a minute, I'm coming back from my whatever dimension I was just in. And and I'm like, wow, we haven't, I, sorry, I didn't, you know. <laughs> okay, hi. And and so that's like also piece too, like understanding where where's my partner going when they're disassociated or when they're under high levels of stress, right? That has nothing to do with me, but just with a high level of complexity in their life, for example. Yeah. You know, and what you and that leads actually to the fifth one is is when you're looking at all of this, you need a good temperature gauge. What's the what's the temperature? Because there's a there's a Goldilocks zone. Like I have plants out back, right? That that they like a certain temperature, right? Gets in what and this relates directly to attachment. For the for the anxious, they tend to make it. They come in a little hot. <laughs> they they come in anxious. You know, it's like the, you know, and the where, where are you at? You know, did you love me? Do you still love me? And they tend to heat the thing up with drama, right? Or constant worry and fret or constant bids for attention. That's a little more than, you know, than's needed. I can remember it was almost a shocking thing I was dealing with. She was anxious. He was uh, uh, a little avoidant, not a lot. He was, you know, but a little bit, but very professional job. and she would text him 60 times a day at work. And she said to me, he only responded 30 days. This is what it feels like when you're married to an avoidant. You know I mean, no, I only, he only responded 30 out of my 60 times. 
you know, and this is what it feels like to be an avoidant. I go, whoa, she's now notice that attachment theory is being focalized through <laughs> the anxious attachment. And that's, I mean, 30 times in a day for a guy at an eight hour job that's professional in which he was being called on the carpet for interruptions. Yeah, now that's, you know, she was heating it up, heating it up. Now, on the other hand, you know, the, the, the avoidance tend to, they put you on the frozen tundra. Things get too cold, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, honey, uh, I texted you three times telling you that the test came out bad from the doctors and you didn't respond. Oh, I thought I'd deal with it when we got home. No, she needed a response right then, <laughs> you know. Right there, there in that little moment. Well, you know, I can deal with it when I'm home. That's, you know, now you're lowering the temperature. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and secure love, there's a Goldilocks zone. And, you, and a part of knowing the connection is, it, are we coming in too hot? Are we coming too cold? Are we coming in too close, too distant? There's that beautiful Goldilocks that we have to notice this in little tiny moments. The moment was it, you know, what? What was it, a six-second decision to decide not to respond to that third text message? It's that little tiny moment, right? <laughs> you know, and sometimes, you know, um, he says, well, you know, I'm really busy. I said, you know, I sometimes I will just tell men. I said, you know, okay, so let me, you know, there's something called enlightened self-interest. It, you can do that, but it's the long red, it's the long route to the bed to the bedroom. <laughs> You know, it's a very long run. Oh, you've got to, you know, there's got to be a reasonable, attuned and timely response. You know, both of those are examples of too hot, too cold. Somewhere in the middle is about right. And and it always happens in these little tiny moments, you know. And I've gotten over the years more and more attuned to, you know, yes, there are patterns. But those patterns always show up in wee little moments that are like the same shape as as the big patterns. Think of it like Russian dolls. The little tiny moments get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, but they all look the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like Russian doll moments. Yeah. I, I actually was like bring an example, not about that exactly, also with my clients with the Russian dolls, because there's so many <laughs> metaphors you can use of them, right? Yeah. But it's it's um it's so true, you know, to really see like, okay, what actually makes my partner feel safe, right? So also understand like that when somebody has like a more dismissive or like disassociation, you know, that also means, oh, wow, they don't feel safe. Somebody entering their energy field, right? So like, how can I, not like tiptoeing around for sure, like not not walking on eggshells, but how can I be just like, you know, increasing my sensory acuity, right? Like, how can I do more so that I actually feel like, oh, hey, maybe right now it's not the best time. I don't know with Brody, right? Like, I can feel when his energy feels like really big and he's just in his world. And I'm like, I could come in, but I wouldn't really serve him. It wouldn't really serve me, right? Or I can wait until he comes to me in like, whatever, two hours, right? And I have the focused presence that you were talking about in the, the first mistake that uh, women make, right? Like it's yes. so deciding and then I have the full connection versus sort of like that partial connection where both are pretending, right? Like, you know, I don't want to, you know, think that, you know, 
that that yeah. I neglect on here that you know what I mean and I you know what I mean and I'm I need something and I, you know so it's just like this kind of back and forth but actually saying what well, does it actually make sense right now to, to connect or are we both really tuned so I think that's also really important as well because I think there's like a little bit uh, especially for my women who are like more the anxious attachment style that's almost like sort of like a vindictizing yes. energy towards the avoidant and there's not a lot of um, compassion no. to that part. And then also, by the way, to your old part too, because most women that come to me, they're actually like anxious avoidance. So it's like, hey, by the way, you get to be with that with yourself too. Yeah. You know, what you're talking about, we're just going to throw in a sixth bonus one. Okay. A six. And with couples, and I have learned this the hard way of working with couples, is I call it switching. They don't switch into the other person. They stay on their own map. Mm -hmm. And they don't actually leave themselves to step inside the other for just a hit of what it feels like. It's like I draw two circles. Most couples, they stay in their own circle, right? Then they, but the art is to know when you're in self mode, but then to leave yourself behind just long enough to switch in to get a, a pure hit of what they feel like, what their map is. Now, this, you can't do empathy and attunement so long as you're on your own map because you're only listening on to what those, you know, what we've just talked about before. There's an art. And, and to in any given moment to switch in long enough in that, you know, in that five minute conversation, oh, you had a bad day. What was that like for you? And it's not that, well, I wonder how I would feel in there. No, just totally switch in. Now, for some, for an avoidant, that doesn't feel very good at all, mm. you know. Yes. And sometimes the anxious can switch in too much or the anxious can be so preoccupied with what they're doing. They really can't hear the love that the other person is trying to communicate with them. But it's important to be able to leave yourself, get on their map. Now, when you're when a couple is going to then do conflict management or then you go back into the middle where you have a little bit of self. And a little bit of is switching inside of them. And from there, the two people can navigate a conflict because you've got a little bit of them and a little bit of you. Now, and if both people have a little bit of each other and they've stepped in in an understanding way, that's called friendship. That's called attunement. That's called love. And too many people, these little moments, they stay in themselves, especially like, you know, with one couple, I remember you know, she made an apology and and he goes, okay, I accept your apology. And then launched right into the next grievance rather than just switching in and going, wow, she was really sorry. He stayed on his map of grievances. And I had to say, look, you've got to be able to acknowledge that. Step into her and notice she feels sorry. And you know what? The next grievance didn't feel so big. You know, I could let that go. The reason he couldn't let it go is he stayed in his own little circle of pain and grievance. But when he steps into this beautifully attuning spouse of his who had learned some new skills, oh, she does love me. Pretty soon, you know, stepping out and stepping into them, either to understand them or even to receive what they have, that's that's gold. And it happens in little tiny moments. So if we're going to talk about lasting love, it's these little tiny moments. And I'll, you know, that's where that's where real love is more than born and raised. Absolutely. And so I know we're already at the end, Gary. So for the women who are like, wow, this was amazing. That took 
like ferocious notes and who want to like engage more with your content? Like what is your free gift that you have for them? Well, I have something on Dr. Gary's Guide to Lasting Love. Uh, and uh, there's three versions of it. Uh, it's a little, you know, love journey. And there's one for uh, anybody who is afraid to date, those who are dating and can't find the one, and those who are couples or you're in a relationship and you want to make it better. And you go to, what is it, GarySawyer.com forward slash love guide, love guide. And the link will be here. But in the cool thing is, you get to choose where you're at and, uh, and where you want to go to. And it's all about lasting love, some coolly cool videos. And I talk about many of these things on there in a little more depth. So exciting. So like Gary said, ladies, the link is right below this video. Gary, thank you so much for being here today. And I always love to engage with your content and try it on and see how it fits in my own life, how it applies to, of course, the women that show up as well. And for the ladies, I will talk to you next time. Take care. Bye-bye.